We're continuing in the chronological life of Jesus Christ, and we are in Mark chapter 10, and we're going to start reading from verse 46, Mark 10:46. So again, we're in the chronological life of Jesus. We are entering into the last week of his life. It's about, uh, uh, about eight days before he is going to be crucified. We've been covering just the chronological life of Jesus from, from uh, uh, even the, the point before he was born. Uh, in the New Testament, and now what we're going to do is, is uh, we're entering into that last week, and Mark chapter 10, verse 46, Jesus was outside the land, on the, uh, outside the control of the Sanhedrin, on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and now he's moving back into the western side. Remember last week we talked about how when he was coming back into the land, his disciples were frightened because they knew that the Sanhedrin would be after him. And Jesus pulled them aside and talked with them. But now it says in verse 46 of Mark chapter 10, Then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho, his disciples and a large, with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, he said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight, and he began to follow him. So, so uh, three of the Gospels record this, mess, this, uh, this, this occurrence. Uh, both Mark and Matthew say that, that uh, this occurred, it came about that as he, as he was leaving Jericho, so on his way out of Jericho, yet Luke records it as, as they were going into Jericho, this incident occurred. And so how can both be right? And both are right because there happens to be two Jerichos. One is the Old Testament Jericho, which is is about four miles north of the New Testament Jericho. And uh, uh, so there are really two Jerichos, and he was between the two. He was exiting the Old Testament Jericho. As you're coming from north to south, you would come into the Old Testament Jericho. You would leave the Old Testament Jericho, and then walk about four miles, enter the New Testament Jericho. So this happens right between the two. Uh, Mark and Luke record that, that this happened to a blind man named Mark Bartimaeus. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, but Matthew records that there were two blind men. And so clearly there were two, but there was one more prominent. The other two Gospels do not say there was one blind man and one blind man only. It records what happened to Bartimaeus, who was the main speaker here. But there were clearly two blind men, as it's, it's recorded in, in, in Matthew. So as we are in Mark, verse 46, is then they came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd. So think of it. It's not just the twelve that are with him. It's a large crowd that's with him as well. And a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. So... This man's name was Bartimaeus, but it doesn't just stop there. It says that he describes him as a blind beggar. So
so there was no welfare system, and so they would beg, and, and the, the, the Jews were encouraged to give, and so the, he, he, would, he would subside in that way. But it says that there was a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. So in Mark, Mark does what's called disambiguation. He specifically names this beggar, not just as Bartimaeus, because Bartimaeus was a common name, he says he is the son of Timaeus. The scriptures again and again do this with people that have common names. It will name them and disambiguate as to who they are. The New Testament is very good at this. If it's a common name, it will often do this. If it's a less common name, it doesn't do this. And this is because there are eyewitnesses who are giving these accounts. And so he says his name was Timaeus, and he was sitting by the road. Verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So this blind man hears that Jesus is going by, so he realizes he's heard enough about this man Jesus that he thinks, hey, this could be my ticket to hell. And and, uh, so he's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And you say, well, why doesn't the blind man approach? Well, there's a crowd around Jesus. It's hard to get to Jesus. And the blind man is blind. He can't get to Jesus. So he's just crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But Jesus doesn't stop. Jesus doesn't do anything. And it's not that Jesus doesn't hear. It's because this man is saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. This is the messianic recognition. This is the messianic title. Son of David, have mercy on me. And ever since the unpardonable sin, when Jesus was rejected by Israel, he doesn't respond to messianic titles anymore because they, they, they claimed that he was demon-possessed. And based on that claim... He said that that that's it. There was a severing, and at that moment, his ministry changed. It says he started speaking in parables on that day. Before that, he never spoke in parables. Before that, he healed masses of people. After that, he only healed individuals and only based on faith. So he wasn't healing masses of people anymore. He was healing them individually, and generally, he'd kind of call them aside a little bit. And he'd heal them, and it had to be based on faith. So Jesus doesn't even respond to this. Then it says, many were sternly telling him to be quiet. So in other words, Bartimaeus didn't say this once. He keeps saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's just shouting it out. I mean, if a person just said it once, you don't sternly tell him to be quiet. But if it happens again and again and again, you're like, you be quiet? He's obviously not interested in you. As soon as they tell him to sternly be quiet... He started shouting out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. In verse 49, And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. You will see Jesus often going for the underdog. When the world comes against somebody, Jesus is going to go to them. Jesus isn't responding so much to the Messianic Son of David, have mercy on me. He's responding to the fact that the crowd itself is not having mercy on this blind man to bring him forward, that the crowd itself is telling the blind man to stay away. And as soon as they tell the blind man to keep quiet, quit bothering him, Jesus says, go get the man. Jesus shows mercy upon them. His disciples, just as we read last time, were telling the, 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 
the parents don't bring the kids here. You know, you see, man's too holy for this. Jesus hey, bring them here. And he starts putting his hands on them and blessing them. So you see that, that what he does is he constantly goes for the underdog. He constantly goes for the one to whom the world is coming against. Jesus goes for them. He says, bring them here. And Jesus stopped. And so what Jesus is going to do, he's going to help the man to request in the right way. We've seen this before, where people have said things and they're just not getting it. They're going through this messianic claim and Jesus said, they've already rejected me on this basis. And he tries to bring them to individual need based on faith. And that's going to lead to their healing. That's what he keeps trying to do with people. So Jesus starts coaching blind Bartimaeus to ask in the right way. So he says, Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man saying to him, take courage, he's calling for you. And then it says, throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. This is an act of faith. This is his act of faith. A blind man does not throw aside his cloak. Doesn't happen, especially in a crowd. A blind man might take off his cloak and put it in a place where he knows he can get back to. But a blind man does not throw off his cloak. This is the show of faith. As soon as they say, he's calling for you, it says, he took his cloak and he threw it aside. This is the show of faith. So the faith has now been demonstrated. Remember, Jesus does healing for individuals based on faith now. No longer masses. It says, throwing aside his cloak, and, and, and I should say that no longer masses is only for the, gen, for, for the Jews. The Gentile areas that he went into after the unpardonable sin, he still healed masses. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and he came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? So here's the coaching line. Here's the professor coming, saying, just priming them. What do you want me to do for you? Here Jesus is priming Bartimaeus. And, he, and the blind man said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher or master. So he's recognizing that Jesus is a great man. I want to regain my sight. There's the critical thing. He finally asks him, what do you want? Here's this guy is crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus is like, what do you want? What do you want? And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. What faith? The man demonstrated his faith by throwing this thing aside and saying to Jesus, I want to regain my sight. I'm coming to you. And immediately he regained his sight and he began following him on the road. So immediately his sight was regained. In Matthew it says, and, and, uh, um, and, and the crowd, the crowd was, was, was praising him as a result of this, was just giving praises to God as a result of this. So you see how this man responds. You know, it's an interesting thing that uh, uh, learning how to ask, learning how to ask is an important thing. So if you, if you, if you look in, um, there's this interesting verse in Psalm 64, verse 1. This is Psalm 64, verse 1. This is the first verse in Psalm 64. It says, hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. I mean, how is that? No more mumbo jumbo. I mean, just come right out and say it. He asked for it. Sometimes we can come into prayer and we, we come to prayer and we're, oh, Lord Jesus, and just going on and on and on and we never ask. We never ask for something. Sometimes students come to my office, you know, and, what would you like? 
what do you want me to do for you? And I know what it's like. Imagine God with all the stuff that goes on. And God's like, what do you want? What do you want? Let's, let's get to the point here. What would you like? Oh, praise you. Okay, okay. What do you want? Express to God that which you want. Express to Him. It says in James chapter 4, you do not receive because you do not ask. The primary reason why we don't receive is because we flat out don't ask. So we have to learn to ask. Okay, let's, let's move on to the next portion. This is going to be in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. This is the next portion of, of, of the next occurrence that occurs. Luke chapter 19, we're going to start reading from the beginning of the chapter. Reading from verse 1. So this is, remember, we're going through the chronological life of Jesus. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. And he entered Jericho. So this is, and, and was passing through. So now we are clearly in the lower, the more southern, newer Jericho. Because he came out of the old one. This happened between the two Jerichos. Now he's entering into the newer Jericho. And it says, and he entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a, a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd. For he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him. For he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and he came down and received him gladly. When they, they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So let's focus in on this, this story with Zacchaeus. This name Zacchaeus, uh, uh, in, in Hebrew it's Zakai. If you go to Israel now, you'll see lots of streets named Zakai Street, Rabbi Ben Zakai Street. This is, this is uh, 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 where this name Zacchaeus comes from. And it says, so it's, he's passing through Jericho, and there was this man Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So he wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector, which means that there were tax collectors under him. And remember, they called them publicans and, and sinners. There they, they were a class of people that were specifically sinners. And they were tax collectors and prostitutes. And the euphemism often for sinners is either a tax collector or a prostitute. The euphemism is to call them sinners. Because to be a tax collector meant they worked for the Roman government, but they were Jews. Because Mr. Mr. Zakai, he knows how much money everybody makes. The Romans don't know. But the guy who lives in the town knows. So he can say, come on, come on, more, more, more. He, he knows how much to ask for. And they made their money with Roman approval by extortion, by demanding more. And they had Roman soldiers that worked with them to ensure that people paid up. It couldn't be just like, you know, no, you little guy, I'm not going to pay you. I mean, no, they had Roman soldiers with them so you could get money. So people hated these guys because they were traitors. So... Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector, 
and he was rich. These men became rich through extortion. So people hated them. He had no friends. The only friends he could have had would be other tax collectors, but he probably didn't have them because he was the chief tax collector. So he was the chief extortioner. So if you think that he extorted just from individuals, no, he probably extorted from the people below him as well. I mean, he got really good at this. He was the chief tax collector, the worst guy in the city. This is the worst guy. So it says Zacchaeus in verse 3 was wanting to see who Jesus was. So he'd heard about him, but he wanted to see him. But because he's short, he couldn't see through the crowd. Now, you don't have to get up very high to get, get, get above a crowd. All you've got to do is stand on a chair, and you're going to be above a crowd, generally. Even if, if, if you're a foot shorter than everyone else, you stand on a chair, you're going to be able to see. So you don't have to get that high in a sycamore tree. But it's interesting that they said a sycamore tree. Because most of the Gospels... Mo- most portions of all four Gospels were written outside the land of Palestine or Israel. This is well known and well documented. So how would they know that there are sycamore trees there? Sycamore trees weren't common in Egypt. Sycamore trees weren't common in Rome. These are eyewitness accounts. They know even down to the shrubbery. This is what we have in the New Testament. Maybe someday I'll speak on this. It is so accurate with the names. You try to think of a name that would be, you know, if you think that the Gospels were written hundreds of years later and had nothing to do with it, how do you know the names? Tell me, what was a common name in France a hundred years ago? Surely you know. Maybe Jacques. All right. Now, what what, what are the common names? And they didn't have a Wikipedia and, and, and these things to look at. But they specifically named the types of shrubbery that are known right there. And in this case, there are sycamore trees in Jericho. So he climbs up into a sycamore tree. This brings authenticity, actually, to the scriptures. He climbs up into a sycamore tree in order to see him. And it says he ran ahead and climbed up because the guy's a smart guy. He's not just going to climb up to a tree and then the crowd's by. No, he runs ahead in the direction that Jesus is going, knowing that he's going to come down this road. And then he climbs up in a tree so that he could see him. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him. For he was about to pass through that way. When, in verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must eat at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. I mean, think about this. This man had no friends. Nobody liked him. Nobody liked him. Probably the prostitutes didn't even like him. Nobody liked this guy. No friends. Remember, they weren't allowed. The Jews were never allowed to go to his home. Because Pharisaic law said they couldn't associate with tax gatherers and prostitutes. They weren't allowed to do this. So by Pharisaic law, Jesus again cares nothing for Pharisaic law. He stops. He looks up. And he says to him, and he said, Zacchaeus. I mean, Here Jesus knows his name. Well, duh, Jesus knows everyone's name. But that Jesus would call the man by name is telling. It reveals something. This man was not called by name by anyone, except in vain, except in disgust. And Jesus looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come on down. For today I must stay at your house. And you think that this is just lunch? He said, I have to stay at your house. He probably spent the night. I'm going to stay there. 
I'm not just going to eat a meal. I'm going to stay at your house. I mean, Jesus kind of invited himself. But that's okay. And it said, you know, Zacchaeus must have been shocked. You're talking to me? Yeah, you, Zacchaeus. You. Come on down. The Zacchaeus in the tree? That's the one I'm talking about. Come on down. I'm going to stay at your house. And it says, and he hurried. I mean, this, this little man is hurrying down this tree. He came down and he received him gladly. Nobody else had ever reached out to him. Nobody. You know, when, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, where you have been ostracized by a group. And how empty you feel. And how embarrassed you feel. And you are thankful for anyone in that group who might speak with you. Just have somebody to talk to. This happened to me one day. I was at a professional meeting. And, I, you know, I wasn't a kid. I was an adult. I mean, adults have feelings too, you know. You, you, and, and I was in this professional meeting and, and uh, a guy had spoken. And I stood up and I made a comment. And made a comment that, that even to this day I, didn't think is, I don't think is wrong. I think it's an accurate comment. But I made a comment and it was an evening meeting, and several of the scientists there had gone out drinking, had dinner, gone out drinking, and then we came back for this evening meeting. So a lot of them were kind of tipsy. And I don't drink, so I had nothing to do with this. But when people are kind of tipsy, they say things that they never would normally say. And so I made this comment, and one guy turned around and he goes, Tour, what have you been smoking down in Texas? And the crowd just burst out laughing. And then one other professor sitting in front of me who's at Harvard turned around and he said something and he just mocked me. And he said, ah, you've been put down. I mean, this is a professor at Harvard. You'd think he's like 12 years old. But when they're drinking, you, you know, science professors can get kind of nasty. And I felt so hurt and embarrassed that in this professional meeting of over 100 people, that I would be mocked like that, and it was not a wrong comment at all. And, and uh, um, so the person who said, what have you been smoking? A week later, he sends me an email, sorry about what I said. It does me a lot of good now. But anyway, but I was so, you know, hurt by that, and I could feel the crowd just against me. The next day, the buses were taking us back to the airport. This, this was in Germany, and, and uh, uh, the buses were taking us back to the airport. And I still felt hurt by this, and one person turned to talk with me. It was just about science. And I felt, somebody's talking to me. Somebody from this group is just talking to me. Has this ever happened to you? Has it ever happened? This is, this is how Zacchaeus lived. There was nobody that would talk to this man. Now, I'm not saying that it wasn't for good reason that nobody would talk to him. Nevertheless, nobody would talk to him. And Jesus goes after that man. What did Jesus just do? He went after the man that the crowd was saying, keep quiet. Jesus said, call the man here. Here, he sees Zacchaeus that the crowd will have nothing to do with. Just, Zacchaeus, I want to stay in your home with you. You treat somebody wrongly, 
you may just be setting them up to be greatly blessed by God. When you are in pain, when you are hurting, and especially if that pain has come from someone who you thought was going to minister to you, just remember, Jesus' Jesus's eye is especially on you to reach out to you. He keys in immediately on those, to who, those who are hurting. He keys in on them. And it says, uh, um, it's, and, and it says, Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly, came down and received him gladly. He's like, wow, what a deal. And when, you know, when Jesus comes, he comes with 12 of his disciples. They're staying with Jesus. And there was a whole crowd looking at this. And it says in verse 7, when they saw it, they began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Well, duh, that's what Jesus does. He reaches out to the lowly. This is what he does. He reaches out to the hurting. And the crowd does not accept it. And the religious crowd does not accept it. He reached out to the one that the crowd would have nothing to do with. And they're grumbling. They're grumbling about this. They're making comments about this. Because they know what Zacchaeus is like. Remember when he would, he would eat and with, with uh, the prostitutes. At, 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 um, there was a Pharisee named Simon and prostitutes were coming and the Pharisees were judging him because they said if he were really a prophet, he would know he would know what kind of man, this, what kind of people these are. So, in other words, he just goes ahead and he reaches out. He reaches on down to this man. And it says in verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. The Gospels don't fill in every detail. This probably didn't happen right there underneath the tree. This probably happened. Jesus comes to his home. You know, it takes time to cook food. You can't just, you know, run down to Randall's and pick up, pick up some cooked chicken. Remember when Abraham had to serve this meal? He went out. You know, these men are coming by. He had to go out and, and, and get this calf and, and, and have it killed. So it takes time. So people didn't just walk into a home and say, hey, you invited me. Where's the food? No, it, I mean, it, t- it takes time to prepare a meal. So Jesus is sitting there in the evening, so there's a lot of dialogue going on. There's a lot happening in this home. Jesus is interacting with this home, with this man, with this family. His disciples are there. People are outside grumbling and judging. Man's never had any guests to his home like this. And so Jesus is in this home, and Zacchaeus at some point stops. And he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, Half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. Remember, we read just not long ago about the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler could not separate from his money because when one is keyed in on their money, it's very hard for them to come to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus even said it is easier to pass through the eye of a needle, and he meant a needle. He didn't mean a hole in a wall. He meant a needle. Than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because they get attached to their riches. Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. That's huge. For one to give half of their possessions to the poor is huge. And 
If I've defrauded anyone, anything, I will give back four times as much. I mean, the man defrauded people his whole life. And he says, I'm going to give back four times as much. When you defrauded in Israel, you had to pay back, plus you had to add a fifth. You paid 20% more. You paid back 120% when you defrauded. This man is giving back fourfold. Jesus sees this, and he doesn't say, oh, I don't believe you. No, Jesus very much believes the guy. This guy's heart was turned. This guy, you know what he's doing? He's doing exactly what he had asked of that rich guy who couldn't part from his riches. Where he told the rich guy, for you, because you're so attached to your riches, take all that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. This man is doing exactly what Jesus had told to the rich young ruler. But this rich, but Zacchaeus is doing it just because of the conversion of his heart. He says, I'm going to take half of what I have, give it to the poor, and if I defrauded anyone, I'm paying them back fourfold. What happens when Jesus hears this? In verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. Today salvation has come to this house. Salvations come to this house this day. When Jesus sees this, Jesus realizes this man's heart is deeply changed. Deeply changed. And he says salvation has come to his house. He knew that when Zacchaeus gets saved, everyone in his household is going to get saved. This conversion was so radical. And then he says, he too is a son of Abraham. Remember, this is not where Jesus is, is, is bringing masses to himself anymore. Not anymore. Not after the unpardonable sin. He's bringing individuals. And he calls them a son of Abraham. He is a descendant of Abraham. Remember, how, this means that, that he's a Jew. Remember what he said to that woman who, who was based in this sickness for 18 years. He says, this daughter of Abraham. So he's, he's saying very specifically who Zacchaeus was. That he's a son of Abraham. He's a descendant of Abraham. In verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's close with this verse in 1 Timothy. So turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at, at verse 15. This is Paul speaking in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Paul is saying he is the worst of sinners, and I know some of you would say, no, it can't be, I'm much worse than him. No. The Bible even says that Paul was the worst because Paul persecuted the church. He would tear apart families. He'd have people killed. He'd have them thrown in prison. He was there when Stephen, the first, the first martyr, was killed, holding the coats. Paul was violent against the church. Has anyone in here had, ha, ever had anyone thrown in prison because they believed in Jesus? No. Okay. So Paul says that he is the worst of sinners. He says, I am the foremost of all. Jesus demonstrated demonstrated his love and his acceptance by saving Paul. And he came into the world to save sinners. So if you think you're really bad, just remember, come to God. That qualifies you. 
If you don't know Jesus and you think you're too bad to come to Jesus, you are now qualified to come to Jesus. He came into the world to save you. In fact, if you think you're not that bad, you might not be ready to come to Jesus. Because the first thing you have to see is that you have to see that you're sinful and separated from God. He says in verse 16, Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. If you will believe in Jesus for eternal life, if you will believe, He will save you. He will come into your life. Please, don't let this day pass by. Don't let this day pass by if you don't know Him. I know that there are people who come here to this class for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes you want to learn English. You want to hear spoken English. Sometimes you think it's neat that there's a, a, you know, a chemistry professor believes the Bible. Let's just go check it out. Whatever your rationale is for being here, you can be saved. You can be saved. Don't let this day pass by. Don't let it pass by. You can be saved. He says that, that if you feel that you're too bad, you've done too much wrong, you've been through a divorce, you've been abusive to your children, or you've been abused, whatever your reason for thinking you can't come to Jesus, Paul said he is the foremost of sinners. You're not worse than Paul. He said Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Don't let this day pass by. We're going to go into a time of prayer. Invite Jesus into your heart. Invite Jesus into your heart. And in that time of prayer also, we're going to pray that if you feel singled out like nobody loves you, that is prime area to be in, to just be engulfed with the love of Jesus Christ. He will call you and to say, I'd like to spend this day with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. I thank You, Lord, for the truth of it. And Lord, I pray for those here who do not know You, who feel that they are like Zacchaeus, separated from God. Father, I pray Your grace to draw them to Yourself. And even right now as I pray, Lord Jesus, I pray that You'd come into their lives, that they would say, Lord Jesus, Come into my life. Lord Jesus, come into my life today. And Father, speak your word into their lives, I pray. May the love of God fill them this day. And Father, I pray for those here who have felt separated and and apart or, or hurt. Father, I pray that because of that, all the more, that Lord, you would come and minister to them. And they would see that they are exactly in the position to be totally embraced by Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that you came to reach out to those who the crowds came against. To reach out to those who the city hates. That you specifically keyed in on them. And said, I'm going to stay with you today. Lord, thank you for this truth. And Lord, I pray that you would minister here to the broken hearts this day. And Father, to the many students that will be leaving this week and traveling back home for the summer or graduated, Lord, I pray Your great mercies to be upon them. The mercies and the grace of God protect them as they drive. Watch over and keep them. 
May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with them. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.